Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with Yusuf. What's up? Hey, Toby. Interesting thing happened the past week for me. Well, lots of interesting things, but this is probably the most interesting thing you're going to hear this week. I was working from home like I do five days a week, and I was attending a Teams meeting, and and suddenly the, the webcam feed for one of the attendees sort of froze. And I'm like, okay, so that person has a connectivity problem that we don't normally have here in the Nordics. But then I realized it might be me. So I, I spent the next 45 minutes sort of checking out my router and my firewall and my all different statistics. And then I realized at home, I have a dedicated one gigabit fiber connectivity, but speed test was giving me only 10 megabits. So I was losing 990 megabits. And I spent an additional hour just trying to fix everything. And then I called the operator. Yeah, I do have an issue here. I thought, no, no, everything looks good. But but have you seen you haven't paid the bill in the past two months? So we've downgraded you automatically back to 10 megabits. I'm like, oops, sorry, because it's an automated <laughs> payment thing for my old bank account. So they fixed that. And now I'm back to the normal speed. But it's funny, the situation was like that for two weeks. I didn't notice. So that probably tells how much I really need the gigabit connection and how good a 10 megabit connection still is on, on this day and age. You know, what surprises me most about this is you had slow internet for two weeks and you did not buy new gadgets to fix it. True. It didn't <laughs> even occur to my mind that should I upgrade the router <laughs> or the firewall or the a new home device. server, yeah, change some, the cables in all the walls. <laughs> just something in the home lab that would make, make it faster. But now everything is back and we can actually record this show as well without, without any worries. So that's probably the highlight for me this week. How about for you? So for me, uh, Father's Day is coming up in Sweden. And I know across the world, the Father's Day occur on different dates, depending on where in the world you are. So in, in Sweden, it's the, the coming weekend. Uh, so I spent some time now figuring out how I want to spend that time because I am a father and I have my father. So it's going to be one of those uh, big family analog events where we spend all weekends uh, you know, high and low with, with my kids, uh, spending time with me as, as their father, all of us spending time with my father, who's their grandfather. So it's going to be one of those very analog type of weekends. So I spent some time now preparing and getting some surprises for, for my dad. And I mean, my kids are four years and nine months, so I'm not sure if they actually prepared any gifts for me, but they might have had some help from my other uh, better half to do that. So it's going to be a, a very analog type of weekend and just recharge the batteries. So that's that's what I'm going to be up to. And that's what I've been, been preparing for. That sounds good. We, we I think we have the same day here, Finland. So it's coming. And my four-year-old actually crafted this uh, this card for me. And he insisted he wants to give it, it to me yesterday. And there's a hand-drawn fish, like a four-year-old can draw a fish. And it says, Dad, you are fantastic. And I figured, okay, this is this is nice. <laughs> All righty. So today, this is episode 109, Azure Policy as Code. So we did talk about Azure Policy, was it in episode 25? 
Yeah, in 25, we had a, an episode called Asher Policies, the how, the what, and the why. We talked about policy definitions, policy initiatives, what they are, how you can use taggings through policies, uh, enabling data protection, disk encryption, backups, network security stuff, uh, gateways, VNet peering, you know, all these things, how you can ensure that you follow your regulatory compliance for ISO 27001, NIST, CIS, and whatever else you might follow in your organization. For more about that, we're not going to dive into how we can use those things or why Azure policy makes sense in that area, because we did talk about that. So, for example, we talked about how you can ensure that, for example, your dev team can only deploy resources in a specific region, because that's the only region you are perhaps legally allowed to deploy resources in for data or compliance reasons. But today, we want to talk about Azure policy as code. So not just Azure policy and what it is, but also how we can do this programmatically, perhaps, and you know what better way than to ask the experts. So today, we invited a guest, uh, Jesse Loudon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So Jesse is a Microsoft Azure MVP from Sydney, Australia, and you recently received the Microsoft MVP award, I know, for, for Azure. So congratulations on receiving that. Uh, well done. I've seen your work in the community. You've got a lot of things cooking. So it's definitely well-deserved. So again, welcome to the show. And uh, could you please introduce yourself to the listeners? Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Toby. And it's really um, really just a shock, actually, to, to be talking to you at this time on this day and after what's recently happened in my own career. It's all kind of just been overwhelming getting access to the MVP program. And it's a really great opportunity. I'm so grateful to be a part of um, the group, really, and, and to see what's happening and to... Um, yeah, to be able to really um, grow and continue to really serve the Azure policy as code movement, really. So my background is really in the operational space. So I, I started my career in IT and I'm on the service desk, actually, and um, have progressively moved into more of a consulting space, not doing break fix, but more of a, you know, projects, professional services. So um, Azure policy as code has really been a lot of great value for me in my career in the last sort of two years since I really started working heavily with Azure. So um, yeah, really love to talk to you more about it today. All right, that sounds cool. So on that topic, Azure Policy as Code, what is it? So if, if we go back to the, to the basics of Azure Policy as Code, I've worked with it a little bit. There might be a lot of people tuning in now who's never heard of it or have no idea what it is. So except for the obvious part, which is something has been done or something will be done using code related to Azure policies. So can you brief us on what this is and why we should care about it? Yeah, so at, at a very fundamental level, Azure policy as code is, is about instead of doing kind of click hops um, changes within the Azure portal when you're managing policies, you're, you're moving all, all of that change into source control. Um, so that means something like a GitHub repo, just storing all your policy definitions, initiatives, assignments in this kind of repository that, you know, goes through some sort of change control. And also, you know, you're following some sort of DevOps process to deliver that into your Azure subscription or however many environments you have. And there's benefits around that. And it's, I find more scalable as well. So I, I know in the past, we talked about in some of our episodes, like infrastructure as code, the practice of treating the content that kind of defines your environment, everything from Azure Resource Manager templates to Azure policy definitions in this case, to Azure Blueprints and doing those things as source code. So I guess this kind of ties into that where you 
make more things happen in the uh, uh, in the definitions by code or by templates. Um, and I guess in in the case of Azure Policy as Code, it kind of provides us the pleasant blend of all of the the things like infrastructure as code, DevOps, shifting left, so kind of enabling restrictions earlier on, if you will, in your subscriptions. And we can also do this using Bicep now. And we did have an episode on Bicep. So the short story for anyone listening in, that's a, a way to transpi transpile your ARM templates into a, a new, new language, which is called Azure Bicep. So you can really define your ARM templates using this new templated language, which is a lot better in my opinion than the traditional ARM templates. And as I understand it, we can also use that for Azure Policy. Absolutely, we can. I have done a few blogs and talks about Bicep with specifically Azure Policy as code usage. And from my experience, the developer experience with Bicep compared to just managing your policies as code with ARM templates is a lot, lot greater um, in terms of usability and just ease of use um, in terms of you know someone new to Azure Policy as code if they were to try and start, you know, getting up to speed and trying to learn how to deliver this to, to their environments and to their clients, if they were to use Bicep, I think that experience and that barrier to entry is a lot less given the, the different tools that are available to them today. I think that makes sense. I, I know some of the ARM templates I took a look at in the past could have 80,000 lines of, of JSON, and it's a bit ridiculous to try and even comprehend how that's going to work when you try to deploy it. So I, I also like this idea of, of modules in Bicep. You can split things down, split them out into separate files. And, and also, even if you have those 8,000 lines, it's going to be a lot cleaner in the, in the Bicep files. So I'm, I'm happy that that works for, for Azure Policy as code as well, because in the end, it's just ARM templates, right? So a uh, quick question here. I, I really like the idea with having code to, to, to define these sort of elements. But perhaps, Jesse, do you have any insights on when should I move from the ClickOps, I love the term, to, to actually defining Azure policies in code? Is it when you're, you've, you've, you've uh, built or assigned your first policy? Or is it more like, okay, we have 15 policies applied now, perhaps it's a good idea now to start storing those in a separate file having a source control over it and, and sort of do the, the, the required plumbing work that you inevitably need to do at that point? Is, is there some sort of a cut over period where you can decide that we will move on to Bicep now and start doing it now instead of using ClickUp? Yeah, that's a great question because the reality really is that a lot of people, wherever they are in their Azure ecosystem journey, they may be using policies now already without any source control, without any code-driven methodology or workflow. And that might be fine for them. That might work for them given their team structure and their organization structure. There are also customers and, and clients and users who have no policies deployed. And maybe they're really starting to ramp up their usage of Azure. So they're looking to migrate into Azure do, you know, from on-premises to, to Azure migrations for their applications. And they're really starting to ramp up their usability there. And at that point, I would say for those customers and those clients, try and get the policies done um, before you get into Azure. So that way you can kind of block and set the standard um, from bad practices early on. But if you're already using Azure today, 
maybe you have some policies deployed, but you're not using them as code, you can do a transition. So you can, you can kind of um, start, you know, a little proof of concepts in ideally the dev environment to really set like a baseline for what a, a policy driven, a code driven policy workflow would be. And there's lots of patterns out there that you can follow as well. Microsoft Docs has um, a really good sort of standard that you can follow as a, as a baseline. And then from then on, as you grow more comfortable and your team's more comfortable with that code-driven flow, you can then start to migrate and bring in your existing policies into that repository there. I, I really like this. And I, I like what you mentioned there as well. If, if you have Azure already, which a lot of people have, and a lot of our customers are already in the cloud, and you, know, you don't have to go all in uh, and, and see it as a, a huge project to migrate to, uh, to enable this. And I think we talked about that also in episode 25, about the concept of if you don't use Azure policies to start and you don't even have to enforce it, you can just kind of audit them and see what would happen if I had this policy. So you could get uh, audit alerts uh, saying that somewhere something broke the policy. And using Azure policies code, this becomes even easier because in the past for us, we had to kind of manage that as a project and roll it out and then you know keep everything on track and we try to do this in the code repository and it was ARM templates and some of it, some of that was uh, click ops, like you said, but I, I really like the clean approach of using bicep to define the policies and then use that through either our DevOps process. Sometimes we deploy resources to Azure through our Azure DevOps. Sometimes we just do it from the CLI or something else. And sometimes we enable some developers to deploy things, change things, modify things on specific subscriptions or specific resource groups in, inside specific subscriptions. And the problem in the past with that was you gave them contributor permissions and they could pretty much do whatever. They could deploy a VM yeah. um, you know, with a size that would cost you 5000 a day because we didn't have any restrictions on that. So Azure Policies is important, but Azure Policy as code enables us on the infra side also to continuously ensure that we actually have up-to-date policies and can more easily rely on our dev team and, and give them free reigns to do whatever they want because we know whatever they do, hopefully, whatever they do will stay within the realm of what's actually allowed from the policies. Yeah, and also um, it's, um, I want to mention as well, it's, um, it's really interesting to see, and I think it's a great, example as well, where um, the BICEP team have brought in this new function called JSON load text content. I think I've done a, a few videos on it or posts about it recently. So what that means is as you're migrating or moving from a portal driven flow for policies, maybe you've got some custom policies already in your Azure environment, and you want to move that to a policy as code workflow in a repo, you can pretty much now copy that JSON from the portal um, into your repo, still keep it as a JSON file format. And then using this load text content function in Bicep, you can very quickly load that into your Bicep file to, to then create that as a Bicep deployment um, back into your Azure environment. Um, so you don't have to work, you know, um, migrating that sort of JSON format to a Bicep. You just load it in with that function. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I didn't know about that, but now I will go take a look at your videos and I will read up on that because that sounds like something I would actually use. Let's, let's uh, definitely put a link on the show notes to these videos because I need to watch them as, as well. Quick thought here. Uh, I, I love using the policies regardless if they are uh, uh, Azure policy as code or if they're done through the Azure portal. 
but is there a difference for the user or perhaps the developer that if a policy is applied, regardless of how it's implemented and deployed, are there more capabilities that I can define in an ARM template or true bicep as opposed to using portal for creating the policy? Yeah, good question. I, I think um, in my experience, I haven't found that the end state of what the policy is when it is deployed, whether it's through portal or through code, the end state has not changed. Um, what I have liked to do through code and what I found is useful is applying metadata uh, tags um, to the definitions and then changing the values of those based on parameter values um, that I pass into my to my code workflow. So I think that would be a lot harder to do if I was managing policies in the portal. And um, yeah, the developer experience, I think, um, in the portal is, is great. Um, it's getting a lot better as well. Uh, it does have some way to go, I think, in terms of matching what is possible to do from, say, Visual Studio Code with the Bicep, you know, extension plus the Bicep um, IntelliSense and all these other kind of, you know, kind of rich um, developer-friendly features you can get from Visual Studio Code. So the, I'm just talking about the editor experience within the portal is is not exactly in my in my experience a like for like compared to Visual Studio Code experience. I really like that as well. So talking about some key concepts in Azure Policy, would you walk through some some of the concepts we should know about when we work with Azure Policy and Azure Policy as code? Yeah. So one question I get asked a lot um, in my in my content that I that I create for Azure Policy as code is what service principle permissions should I assign to? Um, because when you're when you're managing policies as code, you don't want to use your own um, you know, user account for that that has, you know, contributor rights or owner rights, maybe. So you want to set up a service principle, give that access to the environments and then have that run the pipelines to deliver the code. And the, the question really is a good one. And I think um, in, in my experience, um, working with Terraform, um, for instance, um, prior, to, to, prior to working with Bicep, I would assign two roles. So that would, the first one would be the resource, the resource, Sorry, the resource policy contributor. Um, and the second role would be the, the user access administrator. So those two roles would cover most of the um, use cases for managing policy as, as code through a service principle-driven um, pipeline. With Bicep, I have noticed because it uses, like it actually, you know, like you said, Toby, it transpiles to ARM templates. I've noticed that Bicep does require contributor rights at least to the environment because it needs access to a certain namespace um, in the deployment's namespace. So that's, okay. that's, yeah, that's one typical question I get quite a lot. Um, another thing I, I think is, is really important in terms of key concepts with policy as code is understanding testing methodologies. So when you're developing new policies, you, you probably don't want to deploy to prod. So ideally you'd have, you know, a dev environment, but if you didn't have a dev environment at the very least you, you would deploy with, um, the enforcement mode of the assignment to be disabled. So, and, you know, you're not impacting prod straight away without knowing what the potential effect of your new policy is. Um, that's something that some people may not know, but it's really important to, you know, at least have, know you have that up your you know, list of options there in terms of um, policy assignments. And I, I really like that you emphasize on, on two things here. Uh, one is the uh, principle of least privilege. We, we've talked about security a lot in the podcast, 
one of the things is, of course, access rights and privilege and who can who can do what in global admins and stuff like this. So I, I really like this idea that you emphasize that because it's, you know, some of our dev pipelines in the past, and I'm talking a couple of years back when we did a review, took that over from, from someone who was the owner of the pipelines. We started making a review. They were global admins in Azure, right, from the dev pipeline that a developer could trigger. And we also found at some point that a developer could modify the pipeline. And because the pipeline had global admin in Azure, you could pretty much just put a PowerShell script or an Azure CLI saying, get all resources delete. As a developer on the team, you could delete everything in the Azure subscription. Granted, the subscription itself was a very limited dev subscription, but doesn't doesn't matter really. It just proves the point exactly what you said there. Always design with service principles, having the, the least amount of privilege that you can assign to them. It's super important, even if it's only internal use, and even if it's only a subsection or a subset of people in the organization who actually have access to run the pipeline. I think that's still super important. And then also the testing methodologies. I like this idea. I know we talked about that in episode 25, about testing policies before rolling them out in production. I did roll something out in production once, and I did have enforcement mode set to on. It was a fairly limited impact in the sense that it was a smaller organization. The impact was only that I limited the regions where we could deploy things. Unfortunately, I didn't realize we also had things in a region that I now blocked. And so we, we did experience problems with that. If you were an enterprise, though, and you would do this with the enforcement mode on, and you would disable perhaps creation of VMs that happen every day or something like that, the production impact might be a lot bigger. So super important points. Um, and I, I think that's worth reiterating to anyone tuning in uh, who's now excited and getting excited to build their policies. For me, at least these two things are, are also super important. Deal with them with care. One, one sort of addition to here, and perhaps I'm unclear on this. Uh, if I define a policy, perhaps use a built-in policy and use Azure Portal, deploy that, target the resource group, not enforce anything, just audits. It often takes about 15 to 30 minutes for the policy change to kick in so that I can go to Azure Policy, click Compliance, and to see what the effect is so that I can, I can plan ahead on what should I fix or what should I change in one of my resources. Is there a difference if I now create the same sort of approach through code and then use perhaps Azure DevOps or GitHub Actions to execute through a pipeline using the service principle with my new Azure policy changes. Is it immediate or is there also some sort of a backend task that, that enforces me to wait for 15 minutes before I actually see what the changes are? Yeah, there, so what I know about that is uh, that there, are, there is a background compliance refresh every 24 hours in every environment in Azure. The way to have a very quick compliance refresh um, is to run the either what I normally use is through an Azure CLI um, task to actually trigger uh, a compliance refresh. And with this task, you can trigger it for the entire subscription, or you can trigger that um, at a resource group level or at a management group level. And that that is the way that I work around that very, very long background refresh of 24 hours. So I think in, in a policy as code-driven flow, what you could do as part of you know, a pipeline, you could have a task there to say after, you know, as a final step of my deployment, run this trigger 
for the compliance update. And then that should take ideally, well, it depends on how many resources you have, you have in your environment. If you have a hundred or a thousand or 5,000, it'll take longer if you have more resources in, in the scope of that, of that trigger for the compliance check. Yeah. I, I also like that idea. I did not know that you could enforce trigger it, but on the other hand, we very seldom in, in our small organization, we very seldom had a, a requirement to immediately check it. So what you're saying is now I no longer have a reason to take a, a 24-hour coffee break. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I so... Think, I think... Yeah, sorry, yeah, this, this complaint comes up very often as well where, um, where developers... Um, testing new policies. They want to see the effect of it. They want to see the impact in dev. Um, and they have to wait. They have to wait to see the compliance uh, status of this new policy. So I, I'm, I'm hoping Microsoft are listening and are, are you know, making plans at least to um, really make this developer experience better in terms of testing. Um, and I'm hoping that in the future, there could be a, you know, a, you know, update compliance um, click button in the portal at the very least. And maybe we yeah. can trigger that more, more easily through code as well, through a CLI-driven workflow. Yeah, I, I think that definitely makes sense. We talked a little bit about Azure policies. We talked about Azure policies as code. I see the benefit of this, especially writing them in Bicep, because now I can pretty much template and put everything into my code repository and roll it out using DevOps. Um, so, so what's going to be required for me to do this? I'm sure I'm going to need a couple of tools. I'm sure I'm going to need a VS Code is part of everything these days and the CLI that you just mentioned. What are the things I need to, uh, to get started here? Yeah, so um, VS Code, definitely definitely one of the top tools. I, I, I don't, have never used any other editor for managing policy as code, so unfortunately I can't comment on the other possibilities. Um, VS Code, definitely there, the... The Azure policy extension is really high value for, for managing policy as code as well, because with that tool, you can look up aliases, um, which are really key, key parts of policy development. And you can also see all the built-in policies and all the custom policies that are deployed in your environment through that extension as well, without have to, having to change to a, another window, like a browser window to see the policies in, in the portal, for instance. You can see that all natively within Visual Studio Code, which is super helpful. Another tool I would recommend is, is the, um, the Bicep extension, of course, for Visual Studio Code. So not just having the latest version of Azure CLI installed, with, which has Bicep uh, built into it, but having that Bicep extension as well is really, really important for you know, the best experience in Visual Studio Code. Something that's, as how well you get with, the, that's how you get the IntelliSense and recognition of yeah. the templates you're writing, stuff like that, right? Yeah, and the snippets as well. So Bicep had the, the language server and that Bicep extension has these snippets. Um, which, so within any Bicep file, if you just type in RES, um, it'll actually auto, auto bring up this kind of snippet list in your, in your Bicep file. And then you can filter through all these different resources that are provided and very quickly, you know, um, bring in some boilerplate code for, say, a load balancer or even a policy assignment or a policy definition without having to go and pull that in from somewhere external to Visual Studio Code. I think that's a really good experience. Yeah, something else I wanted to mention as well that I've just found about recently is the um, Visual Studio Code bracket pair colorizer. And what oh, this yeah. is, yeah, I know yeah, that one. <laughs> this used to be, and I'm sure it is still um, an extension that you could install, which colorized the brackets 
you know, like if you're working with JSON, Bicep, ARM templates, they have a lot of different brackets. This is such a highly useful um, addition um, to Visual Studio Code. And I, I can't imagine even working with, um, you know, policy as code without it now. So, so two questions. What was the extension? Visual Studio Bracket Pair Colorizer. So it's not, sorry, it's not an extension. It is oh. built in now to okay. Visual Studio Code. So if you search for search for bracket pair colorization in the settings of your Visual Studio Code, provided you're okay. running, I think it's at least 1.62, version 1.62, you'll see a setting to enable that within your Visual Studio Code. Yeah. Oh, okay, thanks. That's, that's clear. Uh, another question though. So imagine that after we've, we've done recording, I will go and install uh, the latest version of Visual Studio Code, the Azure Policy Extension, the Bicep Bits, and so on. Do I have an, uh, a meaningful approach to perhaps connect to an existing Azure subscription that might have perhaps one initiative with 15 policies and somehow extract that perhaps as a Bicep template, modify that in VS Code, and import or deploy that to a different subscription. Yes, yeah, so there's a few options there. You could definitely, you can definitely export what's in uh, any environment using, say, PowerShell or Azure CLI. Um, there's export, like there's sort of get commands there, so you can run mm -hmm. a get command, get those um, resources, and then export it to say a JSON file, for instance. And then, like I mentioned, with that load text content function that's now possible in Bicep, you can very quickly load that into a Bicep style deployment for a policy as code-driven workflow. The other option is you use the built-in um, exporter now. So within the portal, there is now a built-in um, exporter for policies, which will actually create a GitHub action workflow to export the policies that you choose from the portal to an actual GitHub repo for you. So you can use that to kind of click off your way export if, if you if you want to go through that. And um, yeah, and the other option is just manually, you know, if you don't have a lot of policies, maybe there's 10, it will take maybe 10 minutes, one, one minute per policy to actually just copy the, the JSON from the portal to an actual bicep file or JSON file sitting in your, your local repository. Okay, so now I know what I will be doing on, my, on, on the next Father's Day. I will, I will have the family do the cake and things. I will be exporting policies. Sounds like sounds fun. good. <laughs> <laughs> so, are, are there any other tools or services or, or things that we need to get started or that we should put on our bucket list when we start checking these things out? Yeah. So, um, there's there's two there's two community community tools that um, I do want to mention as well that are that are really really helpful for getting that um, really broad um, overview of policy as code and what's possible with aliases and everything. Um, they, these are tools provided by someone called Julian Hayward, who works at Microsoft. Um, so one of them is AZ Advertiser. Um, it's, it's, if you go to azadvertiser.net, that website contains, and it's constantly updated, it contains all the policy definitions, um, all the aliases, all the RBAC roles. It's kind of a single source of truth, um, just aggregating everything that's possible. So I often go to that website just to get you know, a, a really good overview of what's possible. And then when, I, when I'm working with policy as code, I might bring in some information from there, like what's this alias, you know, what's this definition kind of thing. Um, the other tool is azgovviz, and you can find that on GitHub. It's a PowerShell driven tool, which can um, provide you with documentation and visualization of your entire governance landscape 
um, for for Azure. So um, it basically generates kind of a, a report for you. You know, of, here's your policies. Here's uh, the level they're assigned to. Here's you know, here's some other things you may not know about in terms of um, permissions and and whatnot. So yeah, those are those are two great tools I, I recommend checking out as well. Yeah, it sounds good. I did not know about the AZGov of this, uh, but that sounds like something I could use actually already today. So similar to what you just said, I will probably spend uh, half a Father's Day <laughs> working on uh, checking these things out. No, I won't, but I, I will definitely take a look uh, before the end of the week to uh, to see how this fits in, because I have actually use cases exactly for that. We're, we're already doing a lot of stuff in the governance space for Azure and keeping things in check, even for a small company, can be challenging because it's it's not about where you are today and how to structure things you have today. You know, when you operate something, you build, plan, deploy, and operate something for years, things grow. And usually it grows out of your control or it tries to grow out of your control. So policies are good, but also anything governance. So definitely I'll, I'll check that out. AZGov, this very good recommendation. So key takeaways here, you know, take time to understand how Azure policy can help you in your organization. Like we talked about also in episode 25, um, Azure policies can do a lot for you. And like we heard today uh, with Jesse here, there's a lot we can do also uh, to strengthen our uh, Azure governance game, if you will, uh, by doing the policies by code and get the correct tools. Uh, we got a list of the tools. We will put the tools uh, and, and the links to them in the show notes. So anyone tuning in, you can just go to the website, controlaltazure.com, uh, find the episode, and then you have all the links. We can plug this into our CI/CD workflows, but perhaps the most important thing coming back to what Jesse also mentioned here in the episode is test your policy definitions and initiatives before you roll them out into production. Otherwise, you might end up doing like I did uh, a couple of years back, where you rolled something out that becomes a blocker for your entire production workflow. Perhaps avoid that. So put them in, in a, a non-restrictive mode to begin with. So we heard a lot about Azure policy, Azure policy as code. Did we miss anything, like any obvious questions you usually get? Or is there something else uh, that we haven't asked that, you, that you're just thinking, oh, please ask me, please ask me about this, about Azure policy as code, because I really want to talk about it. Yeah, the, <laughs> good one, good one, actually. And a very, very common question I get recently since Bicep has come on the scene is, what do I prefer or what should I use in terms of um, tooling? Should I use Bicep? Should I use Terraform? Um, there's another one called Pulumi. Um, so if I was to answer this question to your audience, it would be that it depends on your situation and wh whether you have a skill set in either of those languages. I think there's good value in Bicep and I think there's good value in Terraform. In my experience, I started with Terraform and I I'm still using it today. So they both, you know, all, every tool has its own differences and there are pros and cons. And I think it's um, there's enough information out there for for people out there who are unsure. They can go and check it out and very quickly get kind of like a hollow world um, style experience to do like a proof of concept themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, I did have that on top of my mind, but I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole of you know Bicep versus Terraform and infrastructure as code and what is the most what is the ultimate way to do it. But I think you hit the the head of the nail there. It the common question as consultants is, it depends, 
right? It depends on your skill set. It depends on the organization. It depends on a lot of requirements. So, so very well said. Um, and I think we covered most of the things that I want to talk about, at least with Azure Policy as Code. We got a very good picture about what this is. But we do have one very important aspect left in this episode that we usually do uh, between me and Yussi. And because we have Jesse today as a guest, we're going to throw at him an unexpected question. Are you ready for that? Okay, cool. So here it goes. If you were transported 400 years into the past with no modern apparel, clothing, or anything else from our time, how would you prove or convince people that you were actually from the future? Okay, so <laughs> I would... <laughs> it's a good question, and I, I don't have a really good answer right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at it and say that I'm going to try and speak their language, first of all. Maybe it's English, maybe it's not, um, depending on where I was transported to in the part of the world. Because I think language is super important in terms of connecting communities and people together. First, so that's my first task to really speak their language, or at least be able to draw something that they can relate to, kind of like a story or a picture. And then second task, I think I would try and meet meet is is to you know build up a story of what I know about the future and try and convince them that that I know things that they never thought about. Kind of just wow them with what I know of what's happened. In you know, in the past four hundred in past four hundred years, and you know, kind of just hope, hopefully make don't make them think that I'm crazy, but make them think that yeah, <laughs> this guy is definitely a verified person from the future, um, with based Perhaps. on all these different stories, and it does make sense, yeah. Perhaps not start with uh, in two thousand and nine, we will have something called Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that may like, be a, guess, a long way down the track. Yeah, I guess four hundred yeah. years ago, I don't know if we actually had electricity, so. There's uh, probably a lot of things to explain uh, and, and try to convince people that you're from the future. But I, I like this. Speak their it, language, good, communicate on the same level, first of all. Good, good thing you didn't set the task as well of trying to convince them within you know, a few months' time. I think that would be nigh impossible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you could, though, when you, when you land 400 years ago, you could try to convince whoever is, is, is talking to you that perhaps they should start looking into bicep instead of terraform. I could definitely, <laughs> I could definitely tell them that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that would kick off a lot of questions in their mind of what is this person talking about? What is, you know, what are these, what are these uh, words that they're saying? <laughs> Indeed. Alrighty, this was this was fun. I did learn a lot about, of course, on Azure Policy, but also on on how can I deploy and use Azure Policy as code. Thank you, Jesse, for for being here. This was super fun. Thank you, Brian. This has been awesome. And and thank you, everybody in the audience. We hope you join us next week as well. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.